0: Have you ever had one of those moments where you allowed your perspective of someone or something skew the belief of what it was actually true? For me, it was, it was when I was heading off to college. I was already a little bit nervous about moving from Orlando and Disney World to the small town of Clinton, Mississippi. Uh, it was, I knew that was gonna be a major culture change for me. I was a little bit nervous about what that was going to be like. I didn't, I'd only been there once or twice on a visit before I went. And the other side of that was I, was, I had never met my roommate. Um, before I got there. We had talked on the phone one time and I knew that he was from Vidalia, Louisiana. Uh, I, I thought Vidalia was nothing but an onion, so I wasn't really sure what to expect when I was going to meet th- this guy. I mean, I was th- thinking probably head-to-toe Duck Dynasty, like this is what he was going to be, camouflage every day, all day, but I had no idea what to expect. Um, but that was the picture, that was the perspective I had in my head of what school was going to be like and what, uh, what my roommate was going to be like. And so on the day that I moved in, I, had, uh, I, I got there first, and before my roommate did, and I was uh, un, I was unpacking my clothes and um, putting everything in the closet, had the putting the carpet out, got the TV in place, and I heard this rumble out the window, just a rum rum rum, and I, I can't really rumble, so you, you got to go with me there. But I heard this rumble outside, and so I went to my window. I was on the second floor. I opened the window and I looked down, and I saw this truck. It was a it was a Z71 Chevy C70 Z71 4x4 off road with a 24 inch lift kit. It was raised up. It had Flowmaster pipes on the back. I had I could look in the back window and I could see a gun rack in the back window. I, I I saw in the bed of the truck and there were deer antlers in the bed of the truck from the previous year's hunting season. And he was flying uh, uh, the the old Mississippi State flag as he was coming through, and I just looked at my dad and said, "This is going to be a whole lot different here." And I was—I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And about 25 minutes later, the uh, the 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 orientation crew was bringing in uh, what was uh, evidently my roommate's luggage and his clothes and all that kind of stuff was being brought to the room. And I looked over and I was like, "You know what? I have that shirt, and I have that shirt." And I have one just like that one, just in a different color. And I was like, maybe this guy's not gonna be so weird after all. And so I was kind of excited and, and he comes in and got to know him and his family really quick. His dad was an insurance agent, my dad was an insurance agent. And, um, but the thing when I saw him that, took me, that really took me aback is he was wearing khakis and a button up. And I just kind of looked at him and I was like, what? And, and I was like, first of all, it's August and we're in Mississippi. Like, it's hot, you know, like, why are you wearing this? And the second one, I was just like, what? This is not at all what I had pictured, right? And so, so we got to hang out, and we were unpacking our room, and we got everything. After a couple hours, we were ready to go. And I remember um, as, you know, we're ready to be college students, so we were like, all right, Mom and Dad, time to get out of here. And so we are trying to kick them out, and uh, we were going to go pick up some of the freshman girls that we knew over the girls' dorm, and we um, were about to leave. We're walking outside, and we get to the parking lot, and my roommate goes, hey, i I'll be happy to drive, and I said, awesome, thanks. he goes, my truck is right over here. (laughs) And sure enough, that was my roommate's truck. that had come in 25 minutes earlier, and I was just going, I knew you were a redneck. And so I just was, but like sometimes your perspective of things, your perspective of something completely changes everything. It changes the way you act. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you respond. And in fact, it affected, your perspective affected many of you as you walked in here this morning. I know some of you right now are a little bit disappointed because you thought after last week's announcement that the new pastor was probably gonna be preaching today and it's just me. Um, um, He'll be here next Sunday, so make sure you come back. Okay. Um, So, um, yes, um, thank you for um, wishing it was someone else. Um, um, But that's the perspective that we had when we walked in. Maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it was the way that your morning went. And it was, you, you woke up this morning and you were 15 to 20 minutes late and by the time you got um, your kids up and they're still half asleep and, and you, you got them fed and you, 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 uh, you got them dressed and you, by the time you got everybody to the minivan, you've already had three fights and you're stressed. And now you know you were running late and you were trying to get their life group on time and you, you, you come in here and you were coming out, maybe you got out of life group a little bit late and you come in here and you're just hoping nobody took your seat because I got to sit where I sit. And, and then you got in here and it was like, man, I really hope John um, doesn't pick any of those new songs because I can't learn those words. They just repeat themselves too much. Or, or maybe, it was, maybe you're on the other end of the, the stylistic perspective and you're like, man, I hope he doesn't choose too many of the old ones because they don't really relate to me anymore. And you're, you're just kind of in there and that's kind of what you're thinking. And now you're sitting here going, man, I really wish Lance would be quiet because I'm getting hungry. I'm ready to go. When's communion taking place? Um, so you like, you you've got this idea of like that's, your, that's the perspective. And if it wasn't your, this morning, maybe it was your whole entire week or month. And you've been sitting here thinking, and you, you walk in here this morning, and you're like, I don't really belong here. It's been a rough week. It's been a rough month. Do you know where my heart's been? Do you know the sin that's been in my life? Do you know if everybody knew what was going on in my life, I wouldn't be very welcomed in here. And so you just, you keep feeding yourself these lies about who you are, about the, you know, and you have these doubts of your sin and your mistakes. Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum of that, and you've had a great week. You've done your quiet time all seven days, and you're like, I can't wait to share that prayer request, or that praise report when I get the life group today. You know, hallelujah. You're like, that's how you feel today walking in this room. But the reality is, no matter what your perspective is, all of those perspectives are pointing at ourself and having nothing to do with the God that we serve. And, and if, we're, if we're being honest this morning, we may all just need a perspective change. We need to be reminded about who the God is that we serve and why we're here. That we walk into a room like this with the opportunity to corporately worship, but our perspective is on ourself and has nothing to do with God. So maybe this morning we need to change our perspective. And we need to have a, a clear picture of who God is in our life. A.W. Tozer, he's my favorite theologian. He puts it this way He says, What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And as you sit in here today, all of you have, at some point in your life, you've fashioned an opinion of who God is. I could ask you to, to shout out to me, Who is God? and you guys could all throw back some attributes of who God is, and you would be accurate. You would be able to tell me, you know, all these, he's holy and just and he's love and all these things, and you would be right. But I'm talking about because of your life experiences, because your circumstances, maybe because of where you were raised or how you were raised. You have a depiction of God, you have a description or a definition of God. And so here's what I want us to do I want you to take your listening guide that's in your together, and I want you to take the backside of it and in 15 to 20 seconds. You, have, you can write down one word or one sentence max of who God is to you. And I want you to, I want you to take from your personal experience those intimate moments of how you know God and so you have 20 seconds to write down who God is to you. Ready? Go. Are you done? If not, I'm on a time frame, so I need you to, we need to keep moving. So if you're not, remember it and think, think about it. But here's what I would venture to say about the definition that you just wrote down. I would venture to say that your life choices and your decisions are a direct reflection of that definition of God. That every day you make decisions and choices, you, the things that you do, the things that you don't do, the places you go and the places you won't go are a direct reflection of how you view God. And, and the reality is we all, we all see God in a certain way. A couple weeks ago we had our students at, at Beach Breakaway and one of the themes that they talked about was our filter of how we viewed God. And some of the, some of the perspectives that they talked about were something like this. Many of us see God as a, as a judge. He's up there as, a, as sitting on a throne and every time we make a mistake he's there to point it out. That every time we mess up, we're being corrected. And in fact, every time that we, that we met, that something bad happens in our life is just that judge saying, this is what you deserve because of the sin that you've had. And that's the way that we view him. Or he's that mean teacher or referee, that, you know, that he's, he's always throwing you that pop quiz right after a break. You know, and so you have this trial come up unexpectedly. Or every time you mess up, he's blowing the whistle. To correct you, and, and as a result, you see the authority in your life, whether it's a parent, a teacher, a coach, a boss, you have a hard time submitting to their authority because to them, to you, they're just a personification of who God is. So They have a hard time submitting to authority because you see God as this judge. Or maybe that's not the that's not the perspective you see. Maybe maybe it's that you see God in this way that He's just a supreme being that's over the world, but He hasn't really been involved in your life. That He sits up He sits up in the clouds and He get, keeps the earth spinning. He sends you know He takes care of the weather. He you know He shoots down lightning bolts when He needs to, or you know He goes bowling and it starts thundering, as we learned as a kid. You know, and so we have these ideas of what who God is, but He's not really involved in your life. And, the, and you haven't heard from him in a while. You haven't, he hasn't spoken to you. You haven't seen him. So you don't really think God is, you know he's a supreme being, but he's not actively involved. And I think maybe a little bit more realistically or maybe a little bit more practical of where we find God sometimes in our life is that he's there when we need him. But we don't go to him other than that. He's kind of like a genie. That when we need him and we need a wish granted, or we have a big prayer request that we can go to him then, and so we we take our little magic lamp and we we rub it, and you know out of the Bible comes God, and you just say, um, God, and this is a student version really quick. God, I didn't study at all this week, but I got a big test and I need an A. God, help me do that. Help me remember something. Or maybe it's the finances are really tight. And there's an opportunity for a promotion at work. God, please let it be me. Please don't let it be Jeff. I'm sorry if you're Jeff, um, but like you, that's what you hope for. And if it's not that, it's it's. Man, Mom and Dad are just they're fighting a lot. God, I need, to, I need. Can you please help it stop? Or I just got word back from the doctor, God, and it doesn't look good. I need you. And we're not, it's not wrong to go to God. We're supposed to go to God. In fact, he commands us to come to him with our requests. But our requests can't be the only time that we come to him. Because if that's the case, you probably see God as the supreme being that you haven't heard from. Because we haven't spent time in his word. We haven't been around him. We haven't heard from him. Because we haven't spent any time with him. And so, because the only time we go to him is when we think we need him and we can't do it on our own. And maybe none of those are your perspective of God. Maybe you see God as love. Because at one point in your life, you thought you were unlovable, but yet you realized that Jesus came down and he gave, his, he gave himself up for you and he loved you enough to die on the cross and so you see Jesus, God as love. That's a great depiction of who he is. Or maybe, maybe to you, he's the healer because he's done a miracle in your life or a friend's life or a family member's life and, and when the doctor said there was no hope, there was healing. Because you know he's the great physician and so you see him as the healer. Or maybe you're like me. And the word or the description that you see of God is grace. And that you see God as a gracious God because you know that he has blessed you in ways that you didn't deserve. And you know that there are things that you've done in your life that you did not deserve the grace on. But you've been given grace and so you want to give it back. So maybe the depiction of God that you have is grace. But I will say this. No matter what it is that your description or definition of God was that you wrote down, that your life choices and your decisions are a direct reflection of that God. And to take it even further, the way that you worship when you come in this room is a direct reflection of how you view God. And see, this morning we're going to talk about worship a little bit. We're going to, we're going to talk about the idea of worship and that we all worship something. And I'm really excited about the fact to talk about worship because um, it's one of my heart, it's my passion. I love, uh, worship is something that I love, and, I, and honestly, my dream job is to be a worship pastor. Um, and John knows this, so there's no animosity between us, but he also knows that I can't sing or play an instrument, so I talk instead. And so, um, but we are going to talk about worship, and we're going to look at worship from this perspective. Here's the definition of worship we're going to use this morning. Worship is your response to what you value most in your life. Worship is the response to what you value most in your life. And the reality is, based on that definition, that all human beings, whether they're Christian or not, worship something. They worship something. It may not be directed towards God, but all of your life expresses the fact that you were created to worship. And I'll give you a couple of examples of what I mean. If you look at the screen, this picture, um, this is a a picture of what we oftentimes expect worship to look like, hands raised, reaching out, just crying or whatever it may be. this is not at a Chris Tomlin concert. There's not a, skinny guy, a guy in skinny jeans singing How Great Is Our God on the other end. This is at a Michael Jackson concert in the 80s. And the people are, are just in pandemonium over wanting to, to be able to touch, to reach out. They're crying, they're weeping, just by being in the presence of the king of pop. But that's the picture of worship that we always have. And maybe you don't relate to that. Maybe you don't relate to the, the starstruck, and and just crying over being in the presence of a celebrity. But maybe you relate to this a little bit more. (laughs) If it's not that one, it's probably this one. It's very different the way they look. It's weird. Um, But I'm not judging because this next one is literally me. It's hard to see. Um, But that is me right after North Carolina beat Duke in Chapel Hill. And I was going absolutely crazy, and I don't really believe in rushing the court, or I kind of believe in act like you've been there before, but I was on the court eight seconds right after that picture was taken. I was like on the very top row, and so I get it. I get it, but we don't see those things as worship. We don't see worship as part of our everyday life. We see worship as just what happens in this room, and it's only worship if John's leading it. Or it's only worship if, if there's somebody in the choir or if we're singing from a hymnal or if there's an organ involved or if you're on the other end of the spectrum if there's a guitar and, and drums involved. But, and we only, worship is only the songs that John makes us sing. It's really your fault. But you know, we look at worship is only the songs that he makes us sing. But worship the reality is that worship is a part of our everyday life. It's not just, it's not just the guitar. It's not just the organ. It's not just the hymnal. It's a part of every part of who you are, because what, what you worship is what you put first in your life and what you value most, so every day, all day long, you worship. And so the question becomes, what is it that I worship? What is it that I am worshiping? And the answer is very easy to figure out. It's most likely not gonna be some golden idol fashioned from human hands, but there is probably some sort of idol on your heart. And the way that you figure out what the idol in your heart is, is you follow your trail. You follow the trail of your time. You follow the trail of your, your energy. You follow the trail of how you spend your money and where your loyalty lies. And at the end of that trail, you're you're gonna find a throne. And what is seated on top of that throne is what you value most. And the thing that you value most is what you worship. So when you come to grips with what it is that is on the throne, you then have to compare that to this fact that you and I were created for one purpose and that purpose is to reflect back to God his matchless glory. And so when you come to grips with that and you see what it is that you worship, you then have to look and see, is the thing that's seated on my throne, is it what I am reflecting back to God, his match is glory, or is it reflecting back my job? Is it reflecting back my kids? Is it reflecting back my social life? Is the thing that's on my throne my team? And you have to ask yourself, is it reflecting back the matchless glory of God? But I will tell you this, the filter or the perspective in which you view God this morning will be the reflection of how and what you worship. So that being, that being said, worship can't just be something that you attend on a Sunday morning. It has to be much more. Worship has to be a complete and total surrender of your life. See, oftentimes we consider worship to be like that very first picture with people raising their hand or in some other posture of worship. And can I tell you this? Worship is not that. Worship is a surrender of your heart. But raising your hands doesn't surrender your heart. But oftentimes when you surrender your heart, it causes you to raise your hands. And so worship can't just be something you attend. It has to be a complete and total surrender. But unfortunately, in the culture that we find ourselves in, worship has become a spectator sport in a participation culture. We're happy to sit in a pew. And when John tells us to stand, we stand. We're happy to allow John to lead us in worship because that's his job. And we will say or sing or mouth the words that are up on a screen. But we, so oftentimes, we don't allow it to have a connection because of the perspective that we walked into the room with but the reality is you're worshiping something. And so this morning, maybe we just need a a perspective change. Maybe maybe we need a perspective change because what is on your throne is not reflecting back the matchless glory of God. And if that's you this morning, I can tell you this, you're not alone. You're not the only one in this room. If you were standing right here next to me, you wouldn't be the only one on this stage. Because there are many times in my life that what is sitting on my throne is not reflecting back the matchless glory of God. So we need a perspective change. And today as we look at our passage in Isaiah chapter 40 verses 28 to 31, this entire chapter is just God pointing back to his people, the God's chosen people, the Israelites. He's telling them, you need a perspective change. You've forgotten who I am. You've forgotten the God that I am. So let me remind you. Like like the Israelites, you and I, we oftentimes find ourselves in the same place to where we need to be reminded of who we serve, who we worship, and of whom we are called to reflect back to his glory. So you find the Israelite people here today in a little bit of context. They had been rescued and they were they were living in the promised land, but then they were taken captive by the Babylonian Empire. The Babylon, uh, Babylonia, Babylonia, Babylon was the, the center of political and economic power in the world. And after they were taken captive, their, their city of Judah, or their, their town of Judah in Israel, was in complete ruins. They had no king, they had no army, and to the rest of the world, they seemed like a, a weak and powerless nation. The Israelite people thought that God was no longer in control. They thought he had forgotten about them. That his covenant that he had made with Abraham and Isaac was no longer in existence. And a return back to Israel was out of the question. They began to think that the, that the gods of the Gentiles, the gods of Babylon, were, going to be much, were, much more, were much greater than the God of Israel. And so he says, let me give you a perspective change. Let me remind you of who I am. So we're gonna begin in Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 12 today. And we're going to work our way out back, or up to our favorites of 28 to 31. But we're, as you look at this verse, as these verses, we're going to kind of take a verse by verse approach because God gives several illustrations and reminders of who He is, and how oftentimes maybe that's the perspective that we need to see Him. So, if you'll turn with me in Isaiah, to Isaiah chapter 40, we'll begin with verse 12. If you will follow along. He says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and held the hills in a balance? We just need to stop right here because I think we need to grasp what God is saying here. He is telling the Israelite people, I am gigantic, enormous. I am bigger than anything this world has to offer you. Because I need you to think for a second. I know that you're in a, in a dire situation. I know that you're in a place that you don't understand. I know that you're afraid because you're being held captive. But can I tell you something real quick? I'm bigger than anything this world has to offer because I hold the waters of the earth in the palm of my hand. Wow. Think about that for a second. If that doesn't catch your attention really quick, when you, next time you're at the lake or next time you're at the beach, Next time you're brushing your teeth, just try to scoop some water into your hand from the sink and see how long you can hold it. And he says, no, no, no. I'm not talking about holding the water from the lake. I hold the whole water from the entire earth in the palm of my hand right here in the hollow of it because I'm a big, gigantic God. And if that still doesn't really get you, he also says, when you walk outside today, I want you to look up at the sky and I want you to try to figure out how you're gonna measure it. And God says, I just do it right here between my two fingers. I measure the heavens between the breadth of my hand. And if that's still not enough, he says, Remember my handbasket, because I carry it around with the dust of the earth in it. And I know there's some moms in here saying, Could you come to my house and make sure you have all my dust too? But like you've got, he holds the dust of the earth in a handbasket. This is the God that we get to reflect back his matchless glory. But we forget. We think of our circumstance. And we forget that God is bigger than any circumstance that we could ever have. And then he he just says one more time, he goes, I know you like to climb mountains for fun, but I can just weigh them on a scale because I'm that big. And then he goes on to tell them in verse 13 and 14. And he says, who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him or who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? I mean, as you look at that, I, I feel like God is being a little bit sarcastic here. I feel like he's, he's talking to like he did with Job when Job went to question him about why all the bad things were happening in his life. And God just is reminding him, like, were you here when I told the sun to rise? And he's kind of being sarcastic. And it's not wrong for us to go to God with our questions. In fact, it's okay for us to go to God with questions. There are things that happen that we don't understand. We just can't go to God with our questions thinking that we have a better answer. And he's saying in this, in this passage, in verses 13 and 14, that I am all knowing, I am wise, and I am sovereign. And I just need you to trust my timing, people of Israel. People of Dawson, I need you to trust my timing. Because I know what's going on. I know the situation you're in. I know your hurts. I know your needs. I know the things that are going on that you don't understand. I need you to know that my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are greater than your thoughts and you just need to trust me. Because I'm all knowing and I'm all wise. Remember, I'm the God who holds the water in the palm of his hand. So who do I need to consult? Trust me. And then he gets to verse 18. And he says, whom then... Will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? The Israelite people woke up in the majesty and the splendor of Babylon every single morning. And they looked out on the, most, on, on the center of politically and economically country, political and economic country in the world, and they saw the gold, and they saw the statues, they saw the idols, they saw the heroes that were there, and they looked out upon that and they had a hard time trusting a God they couldn't see. And I know a lot of times we wake up and we look at what's going on in our country and in the world around us and we have a hard time trusting because we have a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. We have a lot of things going on. And God says, are you going to compare me to that? You're going to compare me to something that a man made? I made man. You can't compare me to that. And he goes, let me tell you why you can't compare me to that. And he gets to verses 21 and 23, through 23. And he says, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the very beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded that God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth? Its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and he spreads them out like a tent. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. And every time that we look out and we find despair because of what we're living in, and the way that the Israelite people woke up every day and they saw the king of Babylon, the most powerful man in the world, holding them captive. God says, let me remind you of something. I don't care that the king of Babylon is holding you captive. I am the king of kings. So don't you forget it. And no matter who is in authority over our life, no matter what we find ourselves in, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, in our country, in our, in our city, in our state, in our world, he's saying, I am in control. I am the king of all kings. You need to know that I am, I am sovereign. I am wise. I am all-knowing. And I still, to this day, hold the waters of the world in the palm of my hand. I need you to trust. And then he gets to verse 25. He says, To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. God just one more time says, there's no one like me. I have no equal. I have no rival. There is no one that comes close to who I am. I already told you once that I am bigger than anything in this world. But can I tell you now that I'm bigger than anything outside of this world? Gets to verse 26. And this is my favorite verse in this entire passage. And it says this. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one, and he calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is ever missing. He just said, I'm a star breather and I'm perfect. We know in Genesis chapter 1 that God spoke into existence his creation. And we know on day 4 that he spoke into existence the sun, the moon, and the stars. And he says, and every single night I call them out by name and not one of them is ever missing because of my great power and my great strength. Are you kidding me? He knows the stars by name. Like that's a big deal because I know many of you have been outside at night on a clear night. Maybe you were camping for some God forsaken reason and you were laying down on, the, on your back and you were looking up at the sky and you, you started to look up and you pretended that you were an astronomer because you had your kids with you. And so you're like, hey, look, there's the Big Dipper. And you're like, right there, yeah, right there. And then you're like, there's the little dipper on this side. And that's Orion's belt. It's the one that have the three stars right in a row. And you're like, there's, and then you start getting confused. And you're like, there's, there's, um, there's the north, that's the north star, that bright one. Well, maybe that's Jupiter. And you, you're like, let's not, let's not, let me, let's just count them. And you lay on your back and you start counting the stars. And you're one, two, three, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 14, 15. Wait, did I already do that one? Oh, I gotta start over. And God's like, I don't have to start over. I never have to start over. I know these stars by name, and not one of them has ever been missing because I call them out every single night. This is the God that we get to reflect back glory to. But we forget. And He's saying, Don't forget. Don't forget who I am. Because I know the stars by name. All the waters of the earth in the palm of my hand, I measure the sky between my fingers. Don't let your perspective be about your problems. Let your problems be about me. And fix your eyes on me. And then one last time, as the Israelite people were still afraid that they would never return back to their promised land, that God had destroyed his covenant with them, he says, let me change your, change your perspective one more time. Let me remind you one more time about who I am. And we get to our favorite passage, our favorites from this, from this passage, verses 28 to 31. He says, "Do you not know? Have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom? He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. He tells them in these verses right here, he says, I am everlasting. I am your creator. I have never been tired. I have never been weak. And my understanding is unfathomable. I am your provider. I am your savior. And like you, like the, you and I, like the Israelites, oftentimes we allow our perspective of what's going on in our life. We allow our circumstance of what's going on in our life to affect our perspective. And God says, It's not about your circumstance, it's about who I am. Let me remind you one more time of who you are and who I am. So He says, You grow tired, you grow weary, you stumble, you fall. But me, I give strength. I don't get tired. I am the everlasting God. And when you, as verse 31 says, when you place your hope in the Lord, then he will renew your strength. And when you use the word hope, when you translate the word hope, the word hope means to wait. So when we wait on the Lord, when we wait on his timing, when we wait on his will, when we wait on his sovereignty, we understand that he's in complete and total control. And so our circumstance doesn't matter because when we hope in him, when we wait on him, he will renew our strength. And the word renew can be translated to mean exchange. And the picture is like exchanging old clothes for new clothes. But he's not exchanging your clothes here. He's exchanging your weakness for his power. When you hope in the Lord, when you wait in the Lord, he renews your strength. And your weakness becomes his power. And so, when you're tempted to think that your situation or your circumstance is bigger than your God, just remember the palm of his hand. Remember that he carries the dust of the earth in a handbasket. Remember that his fingers measure off the sky. Remember that he's all sovereign, that he's all knowing, that he's wise, that he's the king of all kings, that he's incomparable. That he exchanges your weakness for his power. And that he knows every star by name. But know this, he knows you by name. And he desires to have an intimate and a personal relationship with you. And when you face your difficult task, when your tomorrow seems to be impossible, just remind yourself of the goodness of God and the greatness of God. And when you're you're reminded of the greatness of God, your only response can be this to worship, to reflect back his matchless glory. Because regardless of the fact, you're gonna worship something. So why not make it God? Why not make it the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Because the only thing that God, what God desires most from you is the thing that only you can give him, and that's your affection. So the only response to all he has done is to give him back all that you are. A complete and total surrender because anything less is not enough. Anything less proves that we've forgotten the cross. See, we can we can worship and, and we can reflect back God's glory because of who he is and the grandeur and the majesty and that he's big enough to hold the worlds in the palm of his hand. But we go back to the cross because that's where true worship begins. Because what, we don't worship the cross because of what, Je- what happened on the cross. We worship, the, we worship because of what Jesus did on the cross and why he died. See, we, we can worship God for his creation and, the, and his majesty and the bigness of who he is, but we worship today because we know that we have our eternity secured in him if we know him as our Lord and Savior. And we know that when he died on the cross, he didn't stay there, but three days later, he got up. And so we can worship because of that this morning. And his cross is wonderful because of why he died. See, Jesus didn't no one took Jesus' life. He laid it down willingly. He laid his life down so that we could have ours back. The cross was all in God's plan. He wasn't surprised by it. It was a part of the redemptive story. The cross is blood-stained, but it's beautiful. In fact, it's the most beautiful thing you can ever see because that's where worship begins. But the night before Jesus went to the cross, he met with his disciples in the upper room. And that night they were gonna have supper together for the last time and they were gonna break bread together and Jesus took the bread and he took the cup and he used it as an illustration to explain what was gonna happen to him the next day and they didn't fully get it. They didn't understand that in that moment they were responding in worship. But this morning, we are going to spend the rest of our service in response to who God is and what Jesus did on the cross. And in a moment, our ushers are gonna be in place and they're gonna, they're gonna pass the elements to us and we're gonna worship together in that time. As you take, your, as you take the, the, the bread and the, and the juice and, you, and it's passed to you, um, you have the cup holder right in front of you. And I would suggest and I would recommend maybe you place that in the, in the cup holder while we sing. Because we're going we're gonna to sing an anthem of who God is. We are going to proclaim that he is holy. That there is no one like him. And that, to me, should render a response unlike anything that we've had before. So we need to surrender our heart in this moment. And that may lead you to a different posture than what you're used to. It may cause you to stand as elements are being passed. It may have. It may bring you to your knees. It may bring you to the front to where you need to confess some things that are going on in your life. It may bring you to a place where you want to stand and raise your hands just out of the holiness of who God is because you understand who you are not. But understand there is freedom in this moment in worship. There's no condemnation. And when we're done singing, I will come back and I will give us instructions as we take the elements. Remember as we As we take these elements, you have freedom to worship. Gentlemen, you pass the elements.